the last couple of Wednesday nights, we have been uh, looking at the judgments of God, the great judgments of God that are being uh, executed upon our nation at this present time. What you're seeing is the righteous. What you see is the righteous judgment of God. God is righteous and He is just. As a nation, we we have turned from the Lord. Uh, we have brought in laws that offend Him and grieve the Holy Spirit. And so the consequences of that are the chastisement of God upon the nation. And that is very evident that's, that, that's, that's all around us. We will continue in that on Wednesdays as the Lord leads. But we also know that in the midst of that, there is not just on the surface, because I believe it's very important that the church has eyes to see, but to have eyes to see, you need to have ears that hear. But we also know behind all of that, there is a very potent, real, we have been looking at it over the past number of years in particular. I don't believe it's unique to here. There's many uh, that have been preaching the word and raising the awareness of where we are. But there is a very potent rise of an antichrist spirit behind what you see. And we have recently even looked at that in the book of Revelation chapter 13, the rise of the beasts. Uh, and I just want to by introduction, go there this morning, but I'm not focusing on this, but Revelation chapter 12, if you turn over to it, those great verses that we often read, and they're great verses for the church, it says in Revelation 12 and 11, that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Revelation 12 and 12, it says, Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them, Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that his time is but short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast onto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. In verse 17, and again, I just want to remind you that in the original there are no verses and there are no chapters Often we end the chapter and think, well, that was a great chapter, but there is a continual flow throughout the book. But in verse 17, as we close out this chapter, we see in verse 13, we've just read that the dragon, which is the devil, was cast onto the earth, and he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. In verse 17 then says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which kept the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the remnant of her seed, those who have the testimony of Jesus Christ, are those that have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. That is the church of Jesus Christ, the true church. And so there is a war with the remnant of her seed. Then we enter into Revelation chapter 13, where we see the rise of the beasts. And this was speaking of a future antichrist that would rise in the last of the last days there'd be a falling away and so forth and then there'd be a, a rise of the beast out of the sea out of the earth we know that this is a supernatural power it's not greater than the power of God God permits this in his word that there'd be a rise of this antichrist system I want to mention it this morning because I know it's a very uh, relevant topic at this time but it if we need to see beyond what we see, that might sound a little bit strange, but we need to see beyond what we see in the natural. We need to see beyond the vaccine pro and anti. We need to see beyond the, the, the mandate, the passport mandate that is coming in. I believe it's a very serious, very significant event. It's not about stopping you going for a cup of coffee. You remember what we're reading here, that the war is against the remnant of the seed. It's against the church of Jesus Christ. And the target is not your coffee shop. The target is the church of Jesus Christ. You watch, you listen very carefully. The target is the church of Jesus Christ. And I believe it is a significant move. I believe that the church must pray. I believe the Lord and trust the Lord that God would give us the boldness, the strength, the joy, the hope that we have to stand in this age 
and to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom. This is a very significant move. It cannot be downplayed in any way, but we must know that this is part of the rise of this Antichrist system. Many even in the world, in the world that aren't saved, are awakened to what is happening, alarmed to what is happening. Cannot believe that this would happen in our nation if three years ago someone would have had a conversation to say, in three years' time you'll have to show a paper to get into a shop or a coffee shop. You would be alarmed at such a thing that could happen, but yet it very well could happen very soon. And sadly, the war is taking place, but most, but not all, in the church are largely asleep or afraid or both. The answer to all of this is not out there. The answer to all of this is in here. And every place that meets together in the name of Jesus Christ, the answer to it all is the church of Jesus Christ awakened, full of the Holy Ghost, the mantle of Jesus upon them, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And so God, we pray that you would awaken us. The Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who shall abide in the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire. He's like the fuller's soap. He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, purge them as gold and as silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. The Lord, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant is the Lord Jesus Christ. The one in whom we delight in is Jesus. The Bible says here, the prophet Malachi says, he shall suddenly come to his temple. He says, who shall abide in his coming? I believe that's referring to the second coming. Or who shall stand when the Lord Jesus Christ comes? He sits, the Bible says, as a refiner. He sits as a purifier. He sits as a purger, a refiner of fire, a purifier of the silver, and a purger to purge them even as gold. Who does he do this with? The Bible says that he does it with the sons of Levi. The sons of Levi in the Old Testament were the priesthood. In the new covenant of which Christ is the messenger, there is only one priesthood in this earth today. It's not found in the Roman Catholic Church. The priesthood of the believers is found in 1 Peter 2 and 9 where it says, But ye are a chosen generation, and praise the Lord, we are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. There is one nation. This is the nation of which he is referring to. That is the church of Jesus Christ. We are a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light that we would offer up an offering in righteousness. So the work of the messenger of the covenant is a work of refining, a work of purification, and a purging work on the sons of Levi, that's the church of Jesus Christ. That's what he is doing. There is a work that has taken place in the church. Last week we looked at the fourth man that was in the fire. I want to tell you this morning that the same man that was in the fire two and a half thousand years ago is the same man that stands in the midst of the church today. The Lord our God is mighty in the midst of thee. The Bible says where the twos or threes are gathered in his name, then he is in the midst. The same man, the pre-incarnate Christ that was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego was, was the same man that is here this morning and in every place that gathers in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, by his word, tells us that he is right there in the midst. 
Christ is amongst His church. Now I want us to look at this this morning because we often think of it as an historical fact and it is of Christ being in the fire. But Christ, Jesus Christ, is here this morning in His church. And I pray that the Lord would give us the eyes to see. Someone prayed it this morning. Give us the eyes to see not how we see it, but give us the eyes to see it how He sees it. That's two different things. What often we see is not what He sees. And we need to ask this morning, Lord, give us eyes to see like you see. God's desire is always to abide with His people. Back in the garden, He walked looking for Adam. Back in the tabernacle with Moses, when Moses made the tabernacle, He dwelt in the glory by that pillar of fire and that pillar, that cloud by, by, by day and the pillar of fire by night. In the temple that Solomon built, he blessed the temple with his glory in that holy of holies. But when he came and dwelt among us, Emmanuel, that is Christ with us, he came himself in flesh and the fullness of God was in Christ when he walked this earth. When Jesus ascended up into the heaven, he did not leave himself without a voice but he came to an upper room where there was 120 people and he dwelt among them by the power of the Holy Ghost. Not only was he in them, but he filled them and they were overflowing with the power of the Spirit. It is God's desire to be with his people. But he's refining, he's purifying, and he's purging. And prophetically, I want to look at this this morning because it is important that we see the work of the Holy Spirit in these days. The fourth man that was in the fire is the fourth man that's in the church this morning. In Revelation chapter 1, if you would turn over, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1 and verse 10 says these words, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it on the seven churches which are in Asia, on the Ephesus, on the Smyrna, on the Pergamos, on the Thyatira, on the Sardis, on the Philadelphia, and on the Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that speak with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle, his head and his hairs were white like like wool as white as snow, and his eyes were as flame of fire. His feet like on the fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And the countenance, his countenance, was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. And the church would say, Amen. John says that he was in the Spirit, in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I want to assure you this morning that if you're saved, every single one of us positionally are in Christ. Praise the Lord. We are in Christ. We are justified. But there is another thing about being in the Spirit. Moving in the Spirit. Being in the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. You'll read in the Scriptures that the Spirit came upon them. 
It's so important that we understand this term, being in the Spirit. I've heard it said sometimes to me at the door on the way out, I just wasn't in the meeting. I just wasn't there. But you were there, but you weren't in it. You weren't in the spirit of the meeting. And often that happens because we're preoccupied in our mind, because we haven't prepared properly and come into the house of God, because we're thinking about other things. And even though that He's here and the Spirit of the Lord's moving, we miss actually what God is doing because we're thinking about other things. You see, the important thing for us is to know and to move and to be filled with and to walk in the Spirit of God. This is not about our position in Christ. This is about us moving in the Spirit. It's so important in these last days that the church moves in the Spirit, begins to know what it is, to sense the movings and the promptings of the Spirit of the living God. The Bible tells us in John 16 and 14 that the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus and He will receive of mine and He will show it to you. And all things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that He shall take of mine and He will reveal it to you. How important it is for the church in these days to be moved by the Holy Spirit. John was in the Spirit. I want to ask the question, how do you move in the Spirit? How do you know? What do you do? How do you sense? What is it that we do? We know it's by faith, but how do we actually move as a body, as individuals in the Spirit of God? Well, the most important thing that we must do in order for the Spirit of God to move is found in Romans chapter 12. If you turn with me this morning, because if this is your desire to move in the Spirit, to walk with God, to hear His voice, to see what He sees, then we need the Holy Spirit to do that. But in Romans 12 and verse 1, Paul writes and says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This morning, if we are genuine, I believe we are, and sincere about hearing what the Spirit of the Lord is saying and the move in the Spirit of God, if you want to bring yourself and your heart and your body before the Lord by faith, that we humble our hearts before Him, that we bow down of our own opinions, our ambitions, our plans, our ideas, and we yield our bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord in order that the Holy Spirit would have free course to move in this house. He looks for the heart that's humble before Him. He looks for the body that is presented before Him in all sincerity and honesty to present our bodies as that living sacrifice before Him. He always consumes the sacrifice that's wholly yielded unto Him. So if we're desiring to move in the Holy Spirit and to hear His voice and to see what He sees, then it requires of us of a bowing down of everything of which we are in order that the Holy Spirit would have free course in the church of Jesus Christ. The church needs to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We need the Spirit of God to breathe upon the church. I'm not just talking here. I'm talking about the church in this land. We need God, the Holy Spirit, to breathe upon the church of Jesus Christ. How does that happen? It does not happen by simply saying the words. What He is looking for is a humble spirit. And when we bring our wills and our desires and our ambitions, and what we want, and we bring it all down onto that altar before the Lord, and we present our bodies holy as a living sacrifice before the Lord. And Paul says this actually is a reasonable thing for us to do. He actually is begging. He says, I beseech you, I beseech you that you present your body and everything of your life presented before the throne of grace. When we bring ourselves down before the throne of grace, that is the moment that the Holy Spirit begins to breathe and we begin to hear His voice. The Bible says 
that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. It's so important for the church in this land at this time that we truly humble ourselves before this great God. Our nation is in trouble. We are in trouble, friend. There's trouble all around us. There's fear all around us. There is a great shaking in our nation. The people that are making these decisions don't even know why they're making these decisions. They are not the enemy. There is a spirit that's behind that. We do not wrestle against the flesh and the blood. We are wrestling against principalities and powers. They're behind this whole system that you're looking at. But the only defense of that is the power of the Holy Ghost upon the church of Jesus Christ and she to rise up with nothing else but armed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That cross they despise, but that's the hope of our nation. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. And so here Paul begins to plead with the church if we want to move in the Spirit, if we want to move, Paul, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was in the Spirit. You can be in church. I'm not talking about your position in Christ. Listen to me. It's so important. I don't want anyone leaving this morning saying, does that mean I'm not saved? You're saved not by yourself or your own works, but by grace alone. It's a gift of God. But God wants us to move in the Spirit this morning. The church in Ulster for too long has been standing in its own strength and in Saul's armor. We might have all our doctrine right. We might have our names right. We might have our names over our doors and everything seems right. But we need the power of the Holy Ghost to breathe on the church. So we need to humble ourselves. And we need to get before the throne of grace and we need to bow down before Him and present our bodies. This is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Know ye not that ye are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so positionally we are in Christ. It's as good as being in heaven with the door locked. We're saved. But we need to move in the Spirit in these days. The church needs to move beyond the walls. We cannot retreat into fear. We must rise up in the power of the Holy Ghost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that happens when we humble ourselves before the Lord. When we come to that place that we truly present ourselves as a living sacrifice before the Lord. The preparation is so important. Brothers and sisters, have you prepared to come to the house of God? Have you taken the time to wait on the Lord? The anointing doesn't happen by turning on the light switch at the door. There has to be a preparation. There has to be a presentation. There has to be a time where we shut it down and we wait on the Lord for the anointing of God to come upon us. We must come to that place again to wait on the Lord and to seek His face. But there has to be a presentation of our lives. When we do like John, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What happens then? I heard a voice. God speaks. We hear the voice of Him. We hear Him speak to us. He spoke to John as a voice of a trumpet and introduces Himself to John as the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and He's the end. The word Omega being the last, but He's not just the last. Christ is the finality of all things. He is the end of all things. He is the finality of everything as Jesus Christ. And He says, What thou seest, Seest in a book and deliver this unto the seven churches which are in Asia. This is modern Turkey. So he says of Ephesus, I want you to see this this morning. But Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And John turns to see the voice that speaks to him. See friends, when we're in the Spirit, you're going to hear the voice of God. When you're in the Spirit, you'll hear You'll not hear man's voice. You'll hear God's voice. The Spirit of God speaking to you. And John turns to see that voice that speak. And when he turned, he saw seven golden candlesticks. All at the one time. 
Not one after another, but he sees collectively the seven golden candlesticks. Now in verse 13 of Revelation 1, if you look at it, it says these words. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, there was one like unto the Son of Man. There was one like unto the Son of Man, right in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. There was one like the Son of Man. Now in Revelation 1 and 20, it says these words, these are the words of Jesus. The seven candlesticks which thou sawest, he said, are the seven churches. Listen, right in the midst of these seven churches, and this is relevant to us today, it really is, right in the midst of these seven churches, there is one standing, and he's like the Son of Man. Right in the midst of whatever we think, now I want us to see what he sees, not what we see. Right in the midst of these seven churches, there's one like the Son of Man. I tell you something this morning, friend, that every church in Balnehinch that loves Jesus and they meet together because He is their Lord and their Savior, that there's one that stands there and He's the Son of Man. It's Jesus Christ. Every church across this province, north, south, and east and west, wherever it may meet, whether it meets in a building, whether it meets in a, a front living room, whether it meets in a grand building or a humble building, but every place this morning that the saints of God meet in the name of Jesus Christ, regardless of their denomination, there is one in the midst, and He's the Son of Man. Let us see what He sees. The seven candlesticks that you look at, when John looked at those seven candlesticks immediately, he realized that there was one in the midst. That one was the Son of Man. That's Jesus. That's the same man that was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego two and a half thousand years ago. He's right in the midst of the church. This is important. Some may suggest that the, the, the candlestick representing the churches really have no bearing on us this morning, but actually the Bible doesn't say that. In Revelation 1 and 19, John is instructed that he should write the things which he sees and the things which are. These were seven literal churches at that time, but also the things that shall be hereafter. These were a representation of the church throughout all the age. One at a time, he would go through them and he would look into each church with those eyes of fire to see the church as it is. We want to see the church the way he sees the church. Not the way we see it. What we must know is that throughout all the ages in every local assembly, whether they be great or small or indifferent, there is one in the midst. Revelation 1 and 14 says these words, His eyes were as the flame of fire. This is Christ in the midst of His church. His eyes Whereas the flames, flames, sorry, of fire, he seen into the midst of every assembly. He sees into the midst of every life. He sees into the midst of everything that happens universally, locally, and individually that Jesus sees right into the midst of every life in this room this morning because his eyes as a flame of fire. What does that tell me this morning? That Jesus knows everything. He knows your heart. He knows about your life. He knows about your troubles. He knows about your tears. He knows about your life. He knows what's happened corporately. He knows what's happening individually. He knows everything. But you know where he is? He's in the midst. He's right here in the midst of his people. He spoke to Ephesus. And he said these words, if you turn to it and follow Revelation 2 and 1, Revelation 2 and 1, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. They are the messengers that would come to the churches. 
who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works and thy labor and thy patience and thou canst bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars and has borne, has had patience. For my name's sake you have labored and you have not fainted. We would say, what a church. We would say that, what a church. If we sat down collectively with anyone, I know certainly if I sat down with any of the other brothers that pastor works and we talked and they said, there's a church here and this church, listen, it says of it that it's great works, great labor, great patience. They discern that which is evil, those that are false apostles, found them to be liars. They were they were patient for the name of the Lord. They labored. They never fainted. We'd all say, praise the Lord, I'd like to go and visit that church someday. Because in our understanding and what we see, that looks like a great church. Would you say amen? It does. Is it just me that thinks that's a great church? That would be a great church to visit. But you see, we don't see what he sees. We don't see what he sees. He then says to the church at Ephesus, but I have something somewhat against you. There's something that's not right because he has eyes that are flame of fire. And he said there's a problem. That's a big one. And that problem is actually you've left you've left your first love. Everything of what it's all about. Everything of what this all is about. You've actually left your first love. You see, with our eyes, we would say, but that's a great place to be. Boy, they're great people. They labor. They love the Lord. They're working away there for Him. They're, they're busy in the work and everything's going so well. And you know what? There's people there. They can really discern those false teachers. They can tell you who's false and who's the real. They can lay it all out. I know here's a false one coming. There's false doctrine. They were able to discern all of those things. But when Jesus walked into Ephesus in that, that church, and he walked right into the midst of them. When he looked into all of that, he realized that there was people in there. They weren't even walking with him. They weren't even in communion with him. They had left their first love. You see how important it is that we're in the Spirit? Because when we look at it, we would say, yes, Lord, this is amazing. But when he looked at it, he's seen something completely different. He's seen that they left their first love. There was no communion. There was the activity. There was the outward. We've often heard it prayed by so many. Lord, we don't want to go through the motions. But Ephesus was largely going through the motions of church life or church work. But yet they were not in a place where they loved the Lord. If you love me. This is what it was all about. Loving the Lord Jesus Christ. But they had left their first love. And so he, re he asked them to repent of that. To turn away. But where was he? He was in the church. He was actually there. John says that he was in the midst. There was one like the Son of Man amongst the golden candlesticks. He turns over into Smyrna. And here's a church in Revelation chapter 2. I don't believe that this is us. Because you can look at each of the churches and say, is there any part of this that we can draw some, some counsel from? But this church in Smyrna was not brought to the place of repentance, but in Revelation 2 and 9, it simply says they were a church that was in tribulation and in poverty. In Revelation 2 and 10, it says the devil would cast some of them into prison, that they would be tried for their faith, and they would go through tribulation. Can you imagine the response of the Western church? We don't believe in the tribulation. We don't go through tribulation. I'm not talking about the great tribulation. We're the Western church. We have a great heritage. We have got plenty of materialistic. But friends, there's a church this morning in this world that is going through tribulation and poverty that are in prison for the faith. And some of them are being martyred for the faith in Jesus Christ. I don't believe that that's us. I don't believe we're in poverty. Would you say amen? We're not in poverty. We're blessed with much things, but this is not us. And he says, be faithful even on the death. 
and I will give you the crown of life. And then there was the church, Pergamos, Revelation 2 and 13. I know each one deserves a study in itself. We have done before, but I want to give you an oversight this morning. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 13. There was a church here that dwelt where Satan's seat is, right where the seat of Satan was, Pergamos. We have looked at this before, this seat that was transferred brick by brick. It's actually the seat of Satan this morning is the, the, the actual structure of it is actually over in Berlin in the museum. They took it over into Germany. It's so significant. It was Hitler that stood on a mock copy of this very seat. He stood in the Nuremberg rallies. When he stands there, you see the footage and he's, and he's spewing out his hatred towards the Jews. He was the devil's disciple, that's for sure. But friends, this morning, this was a church that actually existed at the foot of Satan's seat and they overcame. Their pastor, Antipas, was martyred for the faith. The history books tell us that they brought him up on top of Satan's seat. There was a large bronze bull. They had a door under the belly. They would put Antipas inside the bronze bull, close the door, and they would set it on fire and they would hear the groans of the faithful Bishop Antipas as he was martyred for the faith of Jesus Christ. And there was a church that was overcoming at the seat of Satan. Thank God we overcome even at the seat of Satan. But then he says, and he's in the church. Remember, he's in the church. But he says of the same church in Revelation 2 and 14, but you're suffering false doctrine. You're allowing false doctrine into the church. You have the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now they require a study in themselves, but basically the, the doctrine of Balaam was to put a stumbling block to your brother. There was doctrines that were coming into the church of Jesus Christ. They were taking people away from the work of the cross and the born-again experience and the delivering power of Jesus. And they were creating other doctrines that were causing the brethren to stumble and to fall away from the faith. It were doctrines of devils that were coming into the... But this was the church that was at the seat of Satan. It was doctrines that were coming in that was destroying the church. And there was a doctrine of the... The Nicolaitans, that was a seductive spirit that caused men to, to go into the things of the world, to be seduced away by the, by the materialistic things of the world. And yet Jesus is saying to the church, I'm in them, I'm actually in this church. And I'm here with those eyes of flame of fire. And I'm looking into it and I'm saying unto this church, you need to repent of these doctrines that have come into the church. In the last days, There'll be doctrines of devils that will sweep through the church of Jesus Christ. We are experiencing that today. To move us away from the cross of Christ, from the blood of Christ, that there's a heaven, that there's a hell, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the power of God unto salvation. But we are being seduced away by all winds of doctrines that are being swept into the church through YouTube and through everything else. Friends, this morning we need nothing else but the cross and the finished work of Jesus. Yet Jesus is in that church. Do you see it this morning, what he's seen? Because we might say, that church has got some strange doctrines. He isn't there, but actually he was there. He was in the midst with eyes flame of fire and he was looking into every heart and every life. The church of Thyatira, look at this church. Revelation 2 and verse 19. He said to this church, I know your works. This was a church that was good and giving their charity and their service. Jesus says in your faith and your patience and your works, this was a great church on the outward. If we'd seen it with our eyes, we'd say, this is wonderful. But then he said in verse 20, I have a few things against you because you suffer the woman Jezebel. Brothers and sisters, this has been a term or a terminology that has been used in the church in a wrong way for so long. But yet it's so very real. It's so very real. The Jezebel was a literal person in Thyatira, but you know and I know that Jezebel in the Old Testament, there was a figure or a type of Jezebel 
that was Ahab's wife. It was Elijah had to confront her. It was Jezebel that Elijah had to run from. She is a very potent, manipulative spirit. She is not subject to a church authority or any authority, her husband's or anyone else. And I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters, this morning, that this spirit is very much alive in Ulster. It has destroyed the work of the Lord. If she does not get her way, she is manipulative in every way. She will not come under any authority, but she wants her way. It is the destruction of churches across this land because there is such a strong Jezebel spirit. I spoke to a dear brother just a few days ago, and I want to tell you, friends, he has been absolutely ravished by a Jezebel spirit. The night before, I knew it was. I was awakened for about two or three hours with this sense of a Jezebel spirit. I couldn't understand it. I was asking, Lord, what's this about? But the next day I met this man in that alleyway and he was a broken man, but he's been destroyed by a Jezebel spirit in the town of Balnehinch. Churches are being destroyed because of this strong spirit of Jezebel. It's so manipulative. They will not come under any authority. And there's so many groups that are being raised up. I'm not being, I know it'll probably be taken this way, but I'm not saying it this way. But they're run by, they're led by women and women alone. And they will not come into any local assembly, not this one, but any local assembly, or come under any church authority. There is an authority in God. A righteous authority. There's an authority in God in the home. There is a man and there is a woman. It works in harmony. It works in the context of love. But there is headship. There is an authority in the church of Jesus Christ. There are men that God puts in their place. And it is men. It is men. That doesn't make us all, oh, it's us in charge. We're here as your servants to serve the body. But there is an authority that we are subject to. And so there's a very strong Jezebel spirit. And it's so manipulative, it wants its way. It will pursue its way by any means. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, this church at Thyatira was a great church. It had charity, it had service, it had faith. It had faith. Jesus says, I know you're, they had faith. Faith to move the mountains. Faith to believe God. But this church suffered this woman, Jezebel. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, we have seen it for too often and too much across this country. The spirit of Jezebel has destroyed the work of God. It has destroyed many a man of God as well. And it doesn't solely work on a female It can work on a man as well. It is manipulative. It is emotional. It works on emotion. It plays at the word. It plays at the emotions. I want to tell you, friends, this is so serious that the church of Jesus Christ move in the Spirit, not by manipulation. And then there's the church at Sardis. Look at this one. Revelation chapter 3. Jesus said, I know your works. Thou hast a name that thou livest. Look what he says. He says, and you're dead. But you know where Jesus was? Jesus was in the midst of the church. Jesus was actually there. Jesus was in the church that had a name that they're alive. I know it's hard, but they were dead. He says, be watchful, strengthen the things that remain, that, 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 that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before the Lord. Then he says this in verse 4, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. In other words, see even in the midst of that, I've still got my people. Even the churches that have a name that they're alive with were dead. Now when we look at that, especially in Austria that has so much religion, we might look at it with the natural eye and say, that church is dead. That church isn't alive. But you know where he was? Jesus was searching out the midst of that church because he said, there's still a few people in here and they're alive to me. 
I'm walking in the midst of the candlesticks. They still love me, but you see it this way, but I see it this way. Philadelphia, he says, I know your works. I've set before you an open door. No man can shut. This is the second of the seven churches that wasn't called a repentance. He said to the church, you don't have much strength, but praise the Lord, you've kept my name. You've not denied my name. And he says, I've set that door before you, an open door. And in your weakness, with no strength, I want you to go through it. Behold, I'm coming quick. Hold fast which thou hast, that no man take your crown. Let me tell you, friends, as we're coming to this last one. These are churches, of course, that people, I believe it. there is a type of this, that there are the seven churches through the seven church age, ending up with the church of Laodicea. But there are also the seven churches of all time, that you can see these churches and the type of them at any point in history, in any local assembly, that we can look at that and we can say, Lord, is that us? Is that me? Is that you? Lord, as he walks, you see this morning, here's what the important thing is, because if you haven't moved with us in the spirit this morning, there'll be no effect. But if you've moved in the spirit, what you're going to hear is his voice. Because what he does is he walks in the midst of the candlesticks. He walks in the midst of his people and he looks into all of our hearts and he sees us for really what we are. That some of us have the name that we're a Christian, but we don't live a life as a Christian. Some of us are here this morning and we once were on fire for the Lord and we loved the Lord, but we have left our first love. Some of us have been open to seductive spirits and, and doctrines of devils and we've been seduced away into other things and chasing after other things. Some of us are just weak this morning in our own strength. And he's saying, I've set before you an open door and in all your weakness, you can go through the door. Some of you are in tribulation and trial this morning, but God's saying, I'm with you. I'm with you in the fire. I'm with you in the flood. I'll not leave you or forsake you. But the church of the Laodicea, in Revelation 3 and 16, and it was prayed just on Wednesday night, he said, So then, to this church, who was increased with goods, but they were neither hot nor cold. They were neither hot nor cold. They were increased with material possessions. They had many things, but they were neither hot, neither were they cold. Jesus says, because I sayest I am rich, increased with goods, and need of nothing, but you do not know that you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and even that you're naked. He says, because you're neither hot nor cold, he says, I'll spew you out of my mouth. This is the messenger of the covenant. This is the Lord who will suddenly come to his temple. He says, I stand at the door. It's a great gospel message, but actually it was to the church. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will sup with him and he with me. What are we looking at in these last days? What do we see in these last days? What is happening in these last days? I want to tell you, I know that we can become experts in what's happening out there. But you see, the answer to all of this isn't found out there. The answer of all of this is found in here. God is looking for a people in this land that's going to rise up from across the denominational divide. From across the denominations, there's a people that love Jesus. Do you love the Lord? And the Spirit of God is looking for a people that are going to yield themselves to His purpose and His way and to hear His voice and to know what He's saying. We had a precious time on Wednesday night. Something began to happen. Something began to happen at the end of the service. And people get nervous about this or anxious, but I don't. Because I believe it's such a precious thing when the Spirit of God begins to move on the hearts of God's people. When the probing of God begins 
into the hearts of God's people. When God begins to bring a sense that I need to get right. That I need to get my house in order. That I need to get serious with the things of God. Lord, I haven't. And the honesty was there. And the time was precious. And yes, it was quiet. But it's okay for there to be a hush in God's house. And God begins to probe into the hearts of his people and hearts begin to confess and say, Lord, would you forgive me? I haven't been in the place that I'm supposed to be. Do you know what that is, friends? That's humility. That's a sincere heart that's saying, Lord, I need you to touch my life again. I need you to renew me in my spirit. I need you to do a work in my heart. And God, the Holy Spirit, is beginning to work in what way? He's beginning to work as the refiner and the purifier and the purger of the sons of Levi. The work of God in each of our hearts. You see, he sees not as we see it. He sees it with eyes as flame of fire. God sees into the lives of every person in this room. He sees those that are completely backslidden in heart. He sees those that are far from God. He sees those that have been open to the things of this world. He sees everything. There is nothing that's hid from him. He sees it all. He sees the desires. He sees the motives. He sees agendas. He sees everything. God misses nothing. And yet he's in the midst of the candlesticks. Important thing is this, as we close this morning. That candlestick, is everything. Let me tell you what it is. It's everything. Because if people look at us and say, Tim, wow, look at the building. That's not the candlestick. You hear me this morning? That's not the candlestick. If people look at this and say, wow, brothers and sisters, God's really blessed you. He has. Look at these buildings. Look at that, and look at this, and look at the school, and look at Hope Mission, and look at the, the wee bookshop, it's amazing. And look at the coffee shop, it's, praise the Lord, we're praying that it's going to open in some way, but it's going to open. And we see all the blessing of the Lord, and we see it grow, and we see the children, and we see the Sunday schools. That's not the candlestick. He said the Ephesus, Ephesus, which was a great church. He says, you've left your first love. And it was the only church that he says that I will remove. I will take away the candlestick from the midst. That's what Jesus said. I'll take the candlestick away. I want to tell you, friends, I thank God for all of this, but this cannot ever be the focus. This can't be the focus. None of this can be the focus. None of this can be the focus. None of it can be the focus. We can have all of this, but we have left our first love. And he says to Ephesus, not the one that had the Jezebel spirit, not the one that had the false doctrine, not the one that had the doctrines of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, not to them. He said to the ones that have left their first love, that's the one I'll take the candlestick from. Do you know what that candlestick is? It's the divine presence of God. I want to tell you, we need nothing else for these days than the presence of the Lord. The day that we leave this place and say, boy, I was great singing. And it is. Or that was a great singer. That was a great preacher. I'm going to, and that may be the case. But the day that we leave this place and we don't know that we have met with him and the presence of the Lord, the candlestick's gone. You may think, would that ever happen? I want to tell you something, friends. There's denominations nearly in its entirety. And there's churches and buildings all across the United Kingdom and Ulster that are no, no longer a testimony of his presence being there, but they're simply monuments. Why? Because God's not going to build his work upon a man or a great congregation. He's going to build his work on Christ. And here's the key. How does that happen? It happens when there's a yielding of our lives 
and a presenting of our bodies before the throne of grace, and we say, Lord, have your way. We need your presence. I tell you what we need today. We need the presence of the Lord. I believe we we are blessed with the presence of the Lord. I'm not saying it's not that He's not here. I believe we're blessed with the presence of the Lord. But you know what frightens me? Especially when I hear and see and talk to other people. This isn't it. Do you hear me this morning? I thank God for it all. But I do want you to hear what my heart is. As God has placed me here to lead this little flock. This isn't it. This isn't it. It's Christ. It's Him. Walking in the midst of His people. There's someone sick and He heals them. There's someone oppressed of the devil. Big Johnny last week. Oh God, it's when He delivers him. It's His presence. Here's the thing. We take all this away. You might say, but he just gives us it. But if he takes it all away, can you still praise the Lord? If he takes it all out, because he might. If they lock up the front doors and the charity commission come walking in saying, you six, you're out. Because that's what they're doing at the minute. You six are off. We're taking this building. Do you know they have the power to do that? But what does it change for us? I can still praise the Lord. I can still preach His word. I can still sing the songs of Zion. I can still rejoice in this great salvation. Whether it's here or whether it's in the top bunk in a cell in Magabre, He's still Jesus. He's still the Lord. And so we have watched it and seen it as the focus has become. And friends, I want you to hear my heart this morning. As the focus has become all of this. Too many times in too many churches. I want to tell you friends. I'm so thankful for all of this. I'm so thankful for all those that minister to us. I'm thankful for Victoria. The girl has given her life. To get all those buttons in the right place. But she knows. I know. And you all know. This isn't it. What we need is a visitation of the Holy Ghost. Do you know how that happens? When we get down before the Lord and begin to call in the name of the Lord and the Spirit of God begins to move in a mighty way. Because friends, that beast is rising. Listen, I, I don't have to convince, I don't hope I don't have to convince anybody anymore, but that beast is coming up fast. And I tell you, friends, what the answer is going to be is a house of prayer for all people. we got to get on our knees and pray and protect the work of the Lord and keep the focus. It's on Jesus. We're in serious days. We're in serious days. But the answer to all of that, I want to tell you something. I'm looking at the answer. I'm actually looking at, if you're saved, you're the answer to all of this. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That God has kept you alive on this earth for these days, called to the kingdom for such a time as this, that you're going to be the answer to this word. You're going to be the light. You're going to be the salt that's going to stand in this day. And how do we know that we're going to move in the Spirit? And how we need to be filled with the Holy Ghost? We present our bodies to the Lord. We present our bodies to the Lord. Can I ask you a question? When's the last time you presented your body as a living sacrifice to Jesus? I would hope that every one of us would say it was this morning. But when is the last time you got down on your knees and say, Lord, I don't have an agenda. I'm not here to ask you anything. I'm here to present my life as a living sacrifice. Would you fill it and do whatever you want with it? When's the last time we did that? Can you imagine then for a moment if every single one of us who's saved and those who desire to be saved because this can happen this morning that all of us collectively as a corporate body say, Lord, 
I'm just going to set aside everything. I'm going to present my life as a living sacrifice to you. Wouldn't it be awesome? I think it'd be amazing. I think, I believe that God the Holy Ghost would just sweep into this place and touch every life in this room. If in sincerity and by faith we say, Lord, we're going to give you our lives this morning. Do you know what, friends? Do you want to do that? Do you desire to do that? Present your body as a living sacrifice. I believe you do. You're nodding, many of you are nodding, saying yes. But that's what we must do. And then you'll hear, you'll get direction, you'll get your calling, you'll get everything when it's presented to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Everything happens when we're low and he's high. That's what we're all about, that Christ would be exalted. Let's pray together this morning.